grateful for uh, you being here. And uh, again, if you're a guest, a special welcome to you. I'm glad to have you. And the, the songs that we've already sung this morning and the richness of the service, it's already been a rich service and my prayer is that I don't screw it up at this point. And uh, if you take anything away already, already from this morning, the songs that we've uh, sang this morning and uh, the, what the ensemble sang for us as well, go put those on repeat throughout the week. You know, I think about the value that there is in music. I love singing together. I love singing as a church. Those, uh, this time is a... Uh, in our service is always one of my favorites, and I hope you never view it as optional or bonus, and that, the, you know, once I want to make sure I get there for the sermon, but I can miss the songs. No. I hope you come for the songs to sing, because these rich truths that we sing are what's uh, putting these truths from Scripture deep into our hearts. And this morning, we're going to talk about desperate situations. And if you've ever been in a desperate situation, and you're trying to call out to God, what will often come to your mind will be songs. Rich songs that have ministered to you in the, in the most difficult of situations. It'll be, and you'll start to sing to yourself in those times. So, so singing is important, especially in de- desperate situations. So where, have you ever been in a desperate situation? One that's truly desperate. You know, where you're about to throw up. You're sick to your stomach. You're even black out maybe for a time. Have you been there? See, those of us who have, we can remember those events like they were yesterday. That hospital room where you received the diagnosis. The phone call where you got the terrible news. Where you were in your house when you heard of something. Desperate situations. And see, when we're desperate, we look for answers. We, where can I turn? Who can I talk to? Where do I go? So many things run through our minds when we're truly desperate. Many of us have experienced a desperate health crisis ourselves or with a friend or family member. And see, situations like that propel us to desperately, desperately look for a cure. We'll do anything. We'll, we, we might radically change our diet or start some kind of trial treatment if this could be an answer. We'll travel any distance for for the best care. We'll go into crazy debt over these medical expenses because it's worth finding anything that will answer my problem. When we're desperate, we'll do just about anything to answer that, to find a solution. Have you ever been desperate? See, in our text today, we read of two people who are in desperate, dire situations. And their desperate state drove them to do what many of us would do in similar situations. They would spend anything or, or get rid of cultural customs because it doesn't really matter. The culture doesn't matter when I'm trying to find a, a solution to my problem. See, their desperate situation, though, drove them to Jesus. And in their desperateness, Jesus received them and he changed them. And he gave them perspective. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, one of our hosts will gladly provide one for you. It's helpful to have a Bible, a physical Bible in your hands if possible. But this passage is really the third story in a trilogy of authority. Luke chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 40 today. But throughout this chapter, we've witnessed Jesus' authority over creation when he stilled the waves and the wind. Then we saw his authority over demons when he cast out these demons from the the man. 
And, and today we see Jesus' authority over disease and death. So Luke chapter 8, verse 40, in uh, verses 40 through 56, if you would stand and honor the reading of God's word. As I read of this story, Jesus' authority. <clears throat> Luke 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at his feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in this passage, we see there's two desperate, desperate people in search for solutions and one sufficient Savior with the power to save. Two desperate people in search for solutions, but one sufficient Savior with power to save. If you're following along on your worship program today at the top, we'll see our main idea is this. In our desperate condition, we go to Jesus in faith. In our desperate condition, we go to Jesus in faith. So first we'll look at these two desperate situations, these two desperate people, and then we'll look at the identity, character, and plan of Jesus. So number one, point one, desperate people search for solutions by faith. Jesus is returning to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember, he healed the demon-possessed man on the Gentile side, and now he's back. And verse 40 says that a crowd had gathered there waiting for him to return. Imagine the scene there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They're just waiting. When's he going to get back? What's going on? I, you know, really enjoyed having Jesus around. I can't wait for him to come back again. But there's a man in this crowd who stands out. This man is not waiting for more of Jesus' teaching. He's not waiting just to hear more of Jesus. No, he has, he, he has a concern. He's in a desperate situation 
And he desires, he needs to see Jesus. The man waiting for Jesus is Jairus. And it says that he's a ruler of the synagogue. He may have been the primary leader of the synagogue, but at the very least, he was a man of social standing and a city leader. He was a religious leader of that city as well. Now, throughout the Gospels, we see that it's often the religious leaders that reject Jesus. They reject him because they'd have to give up way too much power and authority. So they often reject Christ for the sake of their own power and status. But there are other Jewish leaders in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that that trust in Jesus. They They don't let their power get in the way of their Lord. You might remember in uh, the Gospel of John, the story of Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea, who buried Christ. Those two men were part of the Jewish Sanhedrin, a, a Jewish ruling council in that day. That, those men trusted. They followed Jesus, even though they came from power and influence. And see, this man, Jairus, is a similar situation who a religious leader, and he doesn't allow that leadership, he doesn't allow that authority, he doesn't allow that power to get in the way of coming to Christ. Jairus desperately comes to Jesus. He falls at his feet and he implores him to come to his house. Look at verse 42. Why does he come to Jesus? Why is he there looking for him? Why does he stand out among this crowd who aren't just waiting to hear Jesus teaching? He actually wants something from Jesus. Verse 42. For he had only an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As we slow down and read that verse, it should take our breath away. Some of you know that feeling all too well. A severe diagnosis for one of your kids may be one of the worst, if not the worst, or painful situations in life. And whether your child is 5 or 45, there's not a parent on the planet who wouldn't take their place take the place of their child with a difficult and desperate diagnosis. A mother and a father watching a child suffer in that kind of desperate condition is one that no parent wishes on another. And there's no lengths that parents wouldn't go to see solutions for that kid. And dads, men in particular, there's something often wired in us that has this fix-it mentality. We'll go anywhere for a cure. We'll pay anything that it takes. Sell everything for the sake of this. And, and by all means, let me sit in the bed instead of them. And what we realize, too, is that desperate situations come for everybody. Remember Jairus? He's this, he's this religious leader a man of social and wealthy standing. But there's no check he can write to save his daughter. There's no connection that he has to somehow end this situation. It doesn't matter how rich or poor somebody might be. Desperate situations come for us all. And Jairus is no different. And notice how we kind of emphasize the desperateness of the situation, but it says it's his only daughter. Now, we shouldn't try to soften the pain by saying, well, if you have more kids, it's somehow easier to go through losing a child. But but what we're trying to say is that there's no temptation for us to soften either by just saying, oh, he has more kids. And especially in that day where infant mortality rates would have been quite high, 
But this is his only child. There's no way of softening, softening the blow. This man is desperate. He falls at Jesus' feet and begs, pleads, implores him to come. He recognizes if Jesus, there's something about Jesus, that if he can get to my daughter in time, she might just live. Desperate. So Jesus goes with Jairus. And as Jesus was going, the crowd followed along. And we get this sense that this crowd is big and tight. The second half of 42 says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. That word for pressed is also the word for choking. Earlier in in Luke, in the story of the the parable of the soils, when the seed is sown and some of the weeds grow up and choke it, it's the same word. This crowd is choking out those in the center. It's pressing in that much. The gates at Ohio Stadium or some kind of concert mosh pit might be the better illustration for what's going on here. This, This crowd is tight together. They're pressing in on all those around. And in that crowd, we meet another desperate person. Verse 43. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. We see again, this woman is in a desperate state. Now, there's no way to really soften this story any more than what the Bible translators have already done for us. She's in a state of constant menstruation. Twelve entire years. This woman had been in this condition as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. Notice that. Now, only the women in here can even imagine the physical, mental, emotional pain that she would have been in. How challenging that would be. Some others, though, would understand what a chronic situation, chronic pain or a chronic health crisis can be. There's no pain pill that will take it away. And sometimes just more and more procedures, more and more surgeries just make that chronic issue all the worse. Some of you recognize at a chronic situation, how desperate that can make you. You're crying out, and there's really no answer that you get back. Chronic conditions are not just personally paralyzing, but they're relationally isolating. See, for this woman, according to Old Testament law, she would have been considered continuously unclean. One New Testament commentator writes that she would have been the source of continual embarrassment, affecting her ability to live normally with others since to touch her would make someone else unclean. So she's shut out from, from social fellowship and religious life. Notice that. She's shut out from all relationships, continuously embarrassed. And for some of you in chronic conditions, you recognize how it keeps you from living a quote-unquote normal lifestyle. You're always thinking about your condition. What impact does that have on on where you eat, on what you do? Is is the right medical uh, supplies available? Do we have time here? Well, we can't really go there. That's compromised. That can be challenging. But you're always thinking, and it changes your relationships. Some of you are watching online because it's your only option. The idea of coming on a Sunday has just too much. There's too many challenges. You're bedridden. The condition just won't allow you. 
We need to be reminded for any of us who might think that Sunday mornings are optional. That they're not central to the life of a Christian. We need to be reminded that many people who are watching online, who are part of our church, would give their right arm to be here. To sing songs with one another, to fellowship with one another, to pray together with real human beings is life-giving, not inconvenient. So this woman recognizes that in her desperate situation, she knows that she can't go to this religious teacher publicly because that would be to make him unclean and it would out her in the crowd. But she believes that if she can just but touch the hem of his garment, then, then she'll be okay. If she can get to Jesus, that will be all right. And see, for you women in particular, again, you understand just the emotional challenge that this might be for her. Rebecca McLaughlin in her book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, summarizes this so well. She writes, She's lived for 12 years with the shame of her condition, likely infertile, and unable to participate in temple worship. She's hoping to go unnoticed in the throng as she reaches out to Jesus. This woman discreetly, quietly is trying to say, I'm not going to embarrass him. I don't want to embarrass myself if I can just touch his coat. I'll be changed. She's desperate and she's willing to do anything. What desperate situation do you find yourself in today or have you found in in your life? A health crisis? That diagnosis that just makes you sick thinking about it? A chronic pain issue? You search for decades for answers and there's none. Financial crisis? You look every day at that banking app just hoping there's a little bit more there. Relational catastrophe? A situation that you just never imagined that you'd be in. The guilt of your sin, coming to your senses and just feeling, what have I done? Desperate situations. What do you do when you're desperate? What do you do when you come to your end? And see, again, there's no one immune to these desperate situations. We have the bookends here. This religious, outstanding leader who would have had all the connections, who would have had all the resources, who would have been able to pay for all the treatment, and this desperate, unclean, outcast woman. You can't pay it off. You can't go around it. Desperate situations are coming for everybody. But see... These two individuals, in their desperateness, they go to Jesus in faith. And we'll, we'll make more comments about that later. But they go to Jesus in faith. They recognize there's something about Christ, about who he is and what he can do that can change my situation. In their desperate situation, they go to Jesus in faith. But why? Why go to Christ? Our second point. We see that Jesus is the sufficient Savior with authority over disease and death. 
He's the sufficient Savior with authority over disease and death. See, as Jesus takes center stage in this story, we see what this passage reveals about him. These two stories are interwoven together, unlike any other stories in the New Testament. But they build together this grand and glorious point about the identity, the nature, character, and the plan of Christ. We see his power and his character as he interacts with a woman and with Jairus. First, we see his authority over disease. Pick up the story again in verse 44 with the woman. Remember, there was no way she could face Jesus publicly. To to out herself publicly would have put crazy shame on her and made him unclean. So she secretly tries to get up behind him and just touch his cloak. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. By discreetly coming up behind him, And just touching the fringe of his coat, her discharge ceased. The situation that she was never never comfortable with, but always familiar of, changed. Jesus wasn't like the physicians that she had spent all of her resources on previously. He, He didn't prescribe something and say, come back in a couple weeks and we'll check on your progression. There's no trial here. There's no say, we we got a few options. There's no wait and see. With Jesus, upon touching just the fringe of his garment, she was immediately healed. Now this woman has to be thinking, maybe it worked. Maybe it worked. I I got to him. I didn't embarrass him. I didn't embarrass myself. Maybe it worked. I've not been found out. But I've been changed. I've been healed. But Jesus recognized something different happened. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now remember, this is an intense crowd. They're pressing in or choking in on those around him. There's no way that people aren't touching somebody else. So when Jesus says, who touched me? Peter responds the way any one of us would respond. What do you mean someone's touching you? Everyone's touching you. But this woman's touch was different. There was something about her touch. Even just the fringe of his coat. There was something about that touch that was preceded by faith. It was a touch of faith. Before she ever went to him, before she ever touched him, this woman believed that Jesus had the power and the identity and the character to change her circumstances. She believed something about Jesus prior to her touch. Now, what do we do with Jesus' question? Who touched me and I perceive that power went out from me? Do we really think that Jesus doesn't know? Is Jesus able to do a miracle apart from his activity? Is this a passive performance, a passive miracle that's going on? Well, I would agree with what many many commentators would say. No, it's not that Jesus doesn't know. He certainly knows. But he outs this woman... To to teach about his character and to show immense value for her. 
Jesus knew exactly who touched him. And he uses this private encounter for a public declaration of himself and of her value. Now imagine again how this woman felt. Look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now, again, this is her worst nightmare. If she had just made him unclean, she would have been under discipline. She would have been under embarrassment. She would have expected to hear from this Jewish rabbi leader, woman, how could you? What were you thinking? She would have expected to be cursed. But Jesus does not curse. Jesus does not scream. Jesus does not put her in her place. Jesus responds with compassion, with love. Look at verse 48. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Pastor Tim said this week about this text, he says, Jesus takes this anonymous, outcast, and unclean woman and declares that she is a daughter because of her faith in Christ. McLaughlin highlights this in her book and and says that this is the only woman in all the Gospels that Jesus calls daughter. Her faith has made her well. And the word here for made well is actually the word used for saved. Her faith has saved her. It's the same exact phrase used in 750, Luke 750, of the sinful woman who comes to Jesus. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this woman that comes to Jesus, she's healed physically, and she's also saved spiritually because in her desperate condition, she was willing to go to Christ, who has the power to heal and save. See, in his authority over disease, Jesus shows compassion to this woman. He meets her in one of the most sensitive and intimate ways imaginable. He does not shy away from her uncleanliness, and he does not shy away from her femininity. She goes to him in her desperate need, and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, ladies, that might be the only time in the Gospels that that phrase is used. But it's not the only time that it's true. For any of you who turned to Christ in faith, in the midst of your desperate situation, he says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Sisters, you can turn to Christ And go from being outcast and unclean to daughter. Jesus has authority over disease, so therefore he's worthy of our trust. But remember, this is an interruption to a grander story. We don't know how long this whole scene took, but any delay for the father of a dying girl was far too long. Jairus must have thought, okay, come on Jesus, this is nice and all, but come on, my daughter is still dying. But if we see what Luke is doing here and what Jesus is doing here, remember, they're making a grander point about Jesus' authority. His his authority is portrayed throughout Luke chapter 8. And we go back earlier, again, to Jesus on, on on the Sea of Galilee, and he stills the storm. 
The waves and the winds cease because he has authority over the winds and the waves. The demons are cast out of the man because Jesus has authority over the demons. The woman is healed of her disease because Jesus has authority over disease. But what about death? What about death? See, it's one thing for Jesus to change somebody's circumstances, but death is final. Death is the end. Does Jesus, what can Jesus do now? Well, we learn that Jesus doesn't just have authority over disease, but he has authority over death. Look at verse 49. For while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Now in just a few moments, this 12-year-old girl went from dying to dead. It's hard to tell whether it was this pause with the woman that, uh, that kept him from getting to the house in time. But in any case, the girl is gone. So it's, it's a waste of time to trouble Jesus anymore. And again, for him to be in the presence or to touch an unclean body would therefore to make him unclean. There's no use. Time's run out. But Jesus answered this man, verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Well. Remember that word translated be well could also be translated as saved. As the woman believed and was made well, so too this girl could be made well. Only believe, only have faith. But she's dead. She's all dead. She's dead. There's nothing you can do about this now. So Jesus goes to the house with just a few of his disciples and and then the the parents of the the girl. All were weeping and mourning for her. Of course they're weeping and mourning. Why do we even have that note in the text? Of course they're weeping and mourning. For any of us who have stood over the death of our loved one, those first few moments are otherworldly. You and I, we're so used to breathing. But in those first few moments after your loved one has died, your friend has died, and you stand over their body, and you're just waiting. And the minutes go by, and there's no breath. They're gone. The grief that comes in those moments is not something that can be explained. It can only be experienced. The grief of that family, the grief of her friends and loved ones over this little girl. Some of you, some of us know that all too well. And sometimes we try to soften the blow of death by by asking, well, how old were they? We know what we mean when we say that. But all death is sad. Whether you're 9 or 99, we were not designed, we were not created to die. The first people that were created were created to live forever. forever. But the wages of sin is death. Because of our sinful condition, we deserve God's right wrath against sin. And death is what's promised to all of us. But there is something uniquely tragic when a young one dies. Because there's something about it. That we not only grieve for what was, but for what could have been. Grieving the loss of a child 
is the kind of pain that no parent would wish on anybody else. And while they're mourning, verse 53, Jesus says, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Now, some might try to soften this text or explain it away by, well, she's just in some kind of a coma. But no, there's, there's witnesses there. She's all dead. It had been long enough. She was not breathing. It was done. And they laugh, they, they laugh at Jesus for how could he almost say such a thing? How foolish to say something. When my grandmother passed away, my niece was quite young at the time, and she would tell my grandmother in the casket, and she just said, night, night, grandma. See, that's cute from a kid, but if an adult were to say that, it can seem dismissive. How can Jesus be so ridiculous in this moment? She's only sleeping. Don't try to soften the grief and pain. We, try to, we use words like pass away. They're no longer with us. To try to soften just the word death. She's dead. Don't try to mitigate these, these, the challenge here any more than what's already there. Ignoring reality doesn't really help. But verse 54, Jesus, taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, rise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. See, just like that woman had been healed immediately upon the touch of Christ, this girl rises at the word of Christ. This is total healing, an actual resurrection. They give her something to eat to prove that she's no ghost or some kind of hallucination before their eyes. She's real, whole. She was dead and is alive again. Jairus' faith in Christ resulted in a change of his situation. In his desperate condition, he went to Christ by faith. See, Jesus has authority over disease and death. Now, it'd be easy to make this passage purely about us. And we might say, well, it would be nice to be healed of my chronic issue. It'd be nice if Jesus would raise my family member from the dead. But see, that's to miss the point. It's to miss the point about who Jesus is, what the Gospels are portraying about who he is and what his plan is. And we need to be reminded about his identity and his plan. First is identity. Jesus is God with all authority. He's not one of many gods and he's not just a really powerful man. He is the God man. He stands on his own. He has authority over the winds and the waves. He he, he has authority over creation. He has authority over the demons. He, He pushes back every spiritual force. He has victory even over disease and ultimately death and his triumph. Jesus is God with all power, with all authority. And will you submit to him? If the winds and the waves obey, the demons obey, if disease and death obey, will you respond, come to him in the midst of your desperate state in faith? This also leads us to talk about the plan of Jesus. Because of his identity, because of who he is, he has come to peel back all that was undone in the fall. As he pushes back, as he he announces the wind and the waves, he's saying, I'm really Lord and I'm going to put creation one day in all its place. When he pushes out the spiritual forces, he says, I am the one in authority and one day you are going to the pit. 
when he, when he changes, when he heals the woman of her disease, of her chronic issue, he's going to say, he's saying there's a day coming where there's no place for sickness. And when he raises this little girl from the dead, he's saying there's a time where death does not have victory. See, Acts tells us in Peter's sermon that Jesus went to the cross and that was part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus did not go to the cross because of some divine accident. There was not another way. Jesus goes to the cross and as he dies for your sin and for mine, as our substitute, he has victory over sin, over our bodies, over creation, and ultimately over death. When he rises from the dead, he proves victorious over all things. And he promises a day where all things will be made new, where all things will be right. He identifies with his people when it says, surely, surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. And we esteemed him not. He was stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon his chastisement brings us peace. See, Jesus in his victory through the cross and his resurrection peels back all that's going on there. And in the grand plan of God, he will make all things right. So for all of us in our desperate state, we turn to Jesus in faith. You might be hearing this and say, I'm not really that desperate. My circumstances aren't that challenging, but I, I hope that's good for somebody. Well, friend, if you're without Christ, if you're without Christ, you're in a far worse desperate situation than any person who's with Jesus in suffering. If you're without Christ, the desperate judgment coming to you, you cannot bear on your own. Come to Jesus in faith. See yourself as that desperate sinner who upon faith can be said, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Where Jesus can say to you, do not fear, only believe. Only believe. See, if we were a, a prosecuting attorney putting evidence up here about the identity of Jesus, the question really is, what more do you need? You saw his authority over the winds and the waves. You see his authority over the demons. And now we see his final authority over disease and death. Friends, do not fear, only believe. If you've trusted in Christ by faith, continue crying out to him in the midst of your desperate situation. And sinner, come to Jesus now in faith. Because he's a sufficient savior who receives you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by our need. We are overwhelmed in our sin. And we pray, Lord, that in the midst of our desperate state, that you would receive us as we cry out to you, the one who has answers, the one who has authority, the one who is sufficient and powerful to save. Strengthen us, Lord. Grant us that faith to trust in you. Call us out of that darkness 
to be with you, to recognize who you are, what you've done, that we might behold you and be restored in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.